Hey, everybody. Welcome to tonight's Late Night Happy Hour. Brian Kamenetsky and Andy Kamenetsky. Very excited to be joined tonight. Uh, not only he's not only the 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 host and the the, the uh, really the, are you the only guy there, right? <laughs> foreign blue and gold. That's you me. are foreign blue and gold. I am. He's, he's also he's the host and the staff. Right. <laughs> he's the help. He's everything. Uh, he is also the chattiest member of the Laker Film Room podcast, as uh, we learned tonight. As soon as we noted that he'd be on, uh, of course, with uh, Pizzeus and Mike Trudell. There is Soriano. Yay! I'm applauding you guys. What and you're applauding thank, you? What thank is you for having me on. Yeah, uh, we're glad to have you on, man. We we always love having you here. What has been so far before we break down everything going on or with the Lakers, the NBA? What's been the hazing process like for Mike Trudell as the new guy? Like, what, what are you guys putting him through? So, me and Pete are the good veterans, right? <laughs> so we're not the guys who have filled Mike's car with popcorn or cut his mic out accidentally, right? So Mike, I'm gonna speak kindly of Mr. Lakers reporter, Mike Trudell. He is a friend of the show. Yeah, he's a co-host. Yes, so, so we have not initiated Mike beyond some friendly ribbing before and after we start recording. And it, of course, in our group text thread that is the lfr text thread he gets I plenty I of heat there. I, I, think, I think you do haze him uh because and i think how you do it is by trying to get him to get really angry about how and this will come up a little bit later in the show people like james harden play basketball like you just you push him to because you know the button we all know the buttons that we can press to make yes. Mike trudell upset um and so I think that's what you guys do. Also, um, do not bring up load management with Mike. <laughs> he is not a fan of load management. We worked on air with Mike for years. So, I mean, we, so, we know all of these different things. Like, yes. we, we know all the pressure points. Like, if you, if you want to send Mike off on a rant, like, we, we know how to do this. So like we, we practically invented it. So, you know, there have been a couple of um, – Giannis MVP discussions that have come up on the pod. <laughs> and he's graced us with his opinion on that a couple of times, uh, both prompted and unprompted. So we love Mike, though. Oh, he's a oh, yeah. We, he's we love Trudell. He's all just that's what makes it fun to kind of poke at him because it's yeah. just it's easy. It's a, it's a very, very honest and and and, and true <laughs> sense of like honor and right and wrong and when these things aren't followed he doesn't like it um we don't have that andy and i particularly we just don't have that moral code uh and it makes it easier to mess yeah. with people, people who do um so we have a For lot sure. to cover tonight including a potential return of a lakers legend to to la and whether or not this is a good idea or not i want to get through a few teams in the western conference um and just sort of see, like, is there really anything that could go wrong for the Lakers this year that doesn't involve just bad things happening to them? Uh, and you, Darius, uh, in on, on the most recent uh, episode, most recent version, whatever it is, of the Laker Film Room podcast, made some couple really good points about uh, James Harden and what's going on with superstars that we want to get into. But before that, I have a, I, we need to talk about this because if you follow Darius on – any form of social media. It's like great basketball stuff and 
And I've been, but like every 78th Twitter post is food porn. Yes. And we happened to get one of those tonight. And I believe, I believe I'm sharing it now. This looks delicious. Yes. Please explain what it is and how I can make it. So I did not make this. I did oh, not okay. make this. If so, I wish I could take credit for this, but I cannot. I I supported a local business, which I'm hoping if people have the means to do so, wherever you are, support your local restaurants. They are struggling right now. And and if you have the means and the ability to every once in a while to get some takeout, and even I can't cook every night, I plan to make some <laughs> pasta. I scrapped that. And I told my wife, I'm going to order us some ramen. So I ordered us some ramen. And I got this from a local ramen shop right up here in Oakland on Telegraph I, app. I do love that you're supporting local businesses. And I, I do have to admit, though, I'm slightly disappointed. In oh, believe <laughs> me. Of that. There, this is one of those things that, by the way, like reveals the importance of you know, checking in with the guest ahead of time, making most sure of the time, most of the time your research taking his own food. I'm not wrong about that. No, most you're not at all. Am I correct, Gary? Most of the time, it's you taking a picture of what you just made. Am I right? Most of the time, whenever I post something, it is something that I cooked. Darius yeah. is legit. I'm just saying, like, you want to make sure, like, before you put him on the spot like this and basically pull back the curtain and, you know, reveal – the the wizard you know and this type of thing that ends up more underwhelming just check like hey buddy did you make this did you make that it you was did. fantastic though so one of these days i will try to make some ramen but you know you know what i'm, I'm the type of person that if i'm going to cook something i really want to do it right and so i'd want to like make the broth and all of that and Good That's ramen. It's going to take some time. My daughter is really, really into animes. Like she just loves, she's watching like six or seven and she's always telling me about all of them. And I can't keep all these characters straight and I mix them all up and it really frustrates her. But because she's so into anime, she's really now just into everything Japanese culture. So we made ramen one time here. Like we didn't make the broth from scratch, but we made pretty much everything else. And it is labor intensive just in the sense that there's like a zillion different in ingredients, but it's not hard necessarily, like especially yeah. if you're not making the broth from scratch and it's really good and it's satisfying because you know you did some stuff to make it happen. That's one of the reasons why I enjoy cooking. Yeah. A, like I'm a process person. I, I, if you follow me and you follow my writing or how I talk about basketball, that's that's my approach to life a lot of times as well. So I am a process type person. So it's one of the reasons why I do enjoy to cook because I enjoy the process of, of actually putting something together and then at the end, reaping the benefits of something that you did yourself, right? So cooking's fantastic. Brian likes to cook too. I do, I do. Um, actually, okay, so, so I, I did find a, another picture of something that I think Darius made. <laughs> So I think it says Darius. Okay, so I found another picture of Darius's food. Um, did you? You did you? God, I hope he made make, this. I really uh, hope he made this. I'm gonna lie, even if I didn't. I'm just gonna lie. <laughs> did you make this? <laughs> 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 uh, 
you know, I wish you would have showed the picture of the last food item that you shared from the I last time. I was scrolling through. Oh, that one again. Yeah. Did you make this? No. Did, did you make these Big Macs, Darius? <laughs> Unfortunately, I did not. Darius, did you bring back the McRib single-handedly? <laughs> <laughs> Are you making them all? Was this your... <laughs> was this your power? And it's the power of the crock pot. That's a slow nice. cooker. I think yeah, I rescued. I think I rescued that adequately. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, so, like I said, a lot of things we want to talk about, but the, the, the really, I mean, the Lakers. What I love about this season and what I loved about last season was that you know there was, I mean, there was a, a tremendous amount of news that happened throughout the season, but very little of it was generated kind of by the Lakers. It was just stuff that happened either around them or to them. It was a very drama-free year. We were entering this season, yeah, very little drama, a lot of contentedness, and it means to some degree a lot of the storylines are mostly just like, I wonder how Player X is going to play with Player Y, and it's a lot of wait and see. Um, one of the interesting things that popped up today is the potential return of Pau Gasol. Um, the idea that Pau might want to come back. He expressed an interest in coming back to play and finishing his career with his brother, Mark. Um, obviously, everyone in L.A. loves Pau. Yes. Is this, is, is this a good idea? Like, I love Pau. Pau is my favorite human being that I've ever covered in sports. Is this a good idea, Darius? So I'm going to break out my yes and no very early nice. in this version. The patented yes and no. The patented yes, yes and no. So I'll start with the yes part. Yeah, so everyone loves Pau, right? And, re and reuniting him with his brother to play for the Lakers. He could slap on that number 16 again. I think everyone, just from a nostalgia and from a feel-good standpoint, like that's just great. I do also think the Lakers could use an additional big man, like an insurance type of big man though. Um, the Lakers lost some size during the off season. Um, you, you know, they essentially replaced two seven footers with one when Dwight and JaVale, um, JaVale was traded, Dwight went to Philly and now Marcus Gasol is here. And then the other center is obviously Anthony Davis. And then you've got, Montrez Harrell, who I'm interested to see what role he actually plays with the Lakers, whether or not he plays predominantly a lot of center the way that he did with the Clippers, or if they move him around a little bit more and slot him next to AD or even next to Gasol in the majority of, of his minutes. Um, another big guy would be helpful, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Big guys can get hurt. Um they I'm with can, you so far. Right? They can basically just have insurance. You know, AD gets nicked up or Marcus Saul gets nicked up. You need, you, you know, someone gets in foul trouble. You need another big, big body. All of these things are great. So, sure, let's get another big guy. <laughs> That was the yes part. That was, that that was, was the yes the, part. That wasn't the question. The question wasn't do they need, is it a good idea to go get a big guy? So signing Powell specifically gets trickier. From my understanding, wherever he goes, he would want to play. Yeah. And I think that whoever the Lakers were to bring in, if they targeted a big man, there would be zero minutes available on a nightly basis for that player. And that he would be, you know, break, clay, break glass in case of emergency, big man. 
And I do not think that's the role that Powell wants. I do not think that would be doing him any service on this specific team and bringing him back as sort of this token big man or some victory cigar type type of player. That's not the role I would want personally for, if not a franchise legend, a former icon star player who contributed to multiple championships. Like I would just want something better for him. It was one thing when it was meta or run our test and he was sort of on board with that role and the right. transition into mentor um, for younger guys and, and someone who got some minutes every now and then. The sense that I've gotten from what's circulating around Pow is that that's not necessarily the case with him right. at this point. And, and, and so the last thing I would want is to bring him in under the guise that he might have a different role only when I already know the role that's available is not the one that he's looking for. Andy, what's Spanish for bait and switch? <laughs> yeah, I, I could ask my wife. <laughs> She's fluent. Um, like when I think about this, you know, I'm seeing right now on the chat, uh, Donald Stonecipher is asking which minutes would actually, which team would actually give him significant minutes there My is guess is not many, but that's not the point. Yeah. The, the point is what he would want from the Lakers. And more than anything in, in this scenario with Powell, if he would somehow end up back in the NBA, I don't want to see him have a disappointing experience with the Lakers. If he has that's a disappointing right. experience with any of the other 29 teams in the league, that would suck. I wouldn't like to see that either. But that's different than him coming back and potentially closing his career with this team and have it being disappointed. And I don't think he would have any illusions about what his role would be explained to him. I, I can't imagine that they would tell him that it's going to be bigger than it actually is. But you still can convince yourself that it could be okay. Or yeah. that you know, it's with the Lakers. I wouldn't do this with anybody else. But it's these guys. And then you do it, and it doesn't sit right after a month or after two months. And I just don't want to see that with Powell. I don't want him in the Mitch Richmond role when yes. Mitch Richmond was on the Lakers, right? Where Mitch unless Richmond won the final basket. I was going to say, unless he gets literally the final basket of a championship game. Remember when, when they clinched, yeah. um, mm -hmm. against the Nets, he got the last basket, which was really awesome. But even then, right, he was a bit player who oh, saw best. literally no time. And the idea of of him was much better than the actual what he was in in actuality right and and pal deserves better than that so the to me ideally what would happen for a player like like pal be it with the lakers or with any other friend well organization is that you get closer to February or the buyout market. Maybe there's an injury or two around the league or someone gets COVID or something happens, right? Where there is suddenly a role for him, very similar to what happened to Carmelo Anthony with the Blazers. Now, I'm not saying Powell would slide into like a starting role for a playoff caliber team, but somewhere where he could... Where, where he could come on board, be valued, be a contributor, and end his career on terms that he would want to end his career on, right? And, and maybe that would be with 
the Lakers, or maybe it would be somewhere else. But I'd like to see him get that chance if that's what he's actually looking for. Let's see, like you kind of got into Darius. My big issue here with the idea of it, you mentioned COVID, and yeah, I mean, I think the Lakers, I don't think, are set up broadly speaking to be more injury prone than most teams. I think they actually, you know, they, they've got some dudes who are pretty reliable. They got a couple guys who you worry about a little bit. I mean, Anthony Davis himself said, you know, part of the reason I signed the extension is I do get hurt sometimes. I wish he hadn't yeah. said that out loud and put that in the world, but he did. Um, and so, but you talk about COVID. This is a season where, you know, all 17 dudes who, you know, that you might have, you know, at your disposal from the two guys uh, on the two-way the 15 if you use all 15 uh may need to play and yeah. pow is 40 years old he hasn't effectively hasn't played in two years and was you know was on the decline when he was playing and i i don't know i think you need a better player to be perfectly honest i, I love i mean I, again we all love pow that's not the issue i think they need a better player and i i'd be worried you get into a situation where Two guys get COVID and, you know, somebody else is hurt. And all of a sudden this sort of ceremonial guy that you have around for practice like needs to play and they have to cut him because they need a body. Well, and, it's tricky too. The Lakers are up against a hard cap. Right. And, and they haven't signed a 15th player for a reason. It's because they actually can't afford it at this point. They mm-hmm. don't have the space under the salary cap or under the hard cap in order to sign a 15th player at this particular point they're going to need to wait until later in the season when as the season progresses the veteran minimum prorates down right this is cba nerd stuff but but it matters within the context of what the lakers can actually do from a signing stand stand point and 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 so any ability to sign pal basically went out the door when Quinn Cook was signed, now I assuming, now, they, assuming they keep him, assuming you know, he's, he's they non guaranteed, all but yes, right. But basically, when they rostered Quinn Cook, at least in this intermediary period, um, they no longer have the tools at this particular point to say we're going to bring in another player. So we will see what happens late during the season, but I, I don't envision anything happening in the next two weeks before the season starts. Right. And it's a little bit of a of a microcosm of the big question that the Lakers have been answering anyway, which is just, and it, it happens in sports and in everything. And, you know, obviously in bands, like, is it is it good to get the band back together? Like, do you, do you always yeah. want to get the band back together? Um, clearly it doesn't work in bands because that's where the expression came from. You can't get the band back together. I, it doesn't. It's not a great idea in sports, and these things always sound romantic and and, and wonderful at the time. There's got to be a better way to honor Powell and like bring him in or have him be. I, it's, I, 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 the upside doesn't match the downside for me. The downside risk. Well, I mean, look, the upside is it's Powell Gasol. You have Powell Gasol on this team with Mark Gasol. Hopefully, they win a championship, and Powell is there to be a part of it. Especially, you know, with with everything, you know, beyond everything Powell means to this organization, everything that he's been doing for Kobe's family this year, yeah, and, oh my and, God. and 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 the way he's been there for Vanessa and the three girls, and I mean, he he's been a fixture 
at the Bryant household. And I mean, it, like, may we all have friends as great as Powell has been to Kobe and Kobe's family. Like, I mean, he's he's going to go into the Hall of Fame of friends. Like, forget I mean, none of this is a referendum on. Power no, no, no. Of course, of course, of course. And not. I, I mean, if it was anybody, if it was somebody who wasn't as beloved as a person as Powell, we wouldn't even be entertaining. No, of, of course. I mean, I, I don't think anybody would even take it that way. I'm, I'm just saying, you, when you were talking about the potential upside, that's the upside: is that Powell is there, and you want him there on several counts for this moment, like in this particular moment in time mm -hmm. want Pau Gasol there. But practically speaking, there are a lot of potential issues with it. And like I said earlier, not the least of which is I don't want to see this experience for a variety of reasons not end up what Pau wants. Because, I mean, you even he may be able to romanticize it in his head being told, look, man, your role is likely to be very limited. You can still find a way to talk yourself into this being yeah. something that it's not. And I just don't want to see that for somebody like him. Yeah. Though my only thing is, is that if everyone goes into it with clear eyes and everyone understands and everything was going to go perfectly, I'd love to have Pal Gasol back. A, because he's pal B because I, like I said before, I do think that an extra big body would and likely will be helpful. Um, Dom and Rangula. <laughs> I will send Quinn cook an Uber premium to any airport of his choice. Premium to too. space for pal premium. Nice yeah. Yes. Uh, that lets you know. Uh, he's Dom stacked. He's got the cash. <laughs> yeah, that, that is true. It actually was, it was more of a flex than a joke. It it really was. It really. I don't was. know about that. I mean, this could be a real sacrifice for him. I'm not sure. Ramen's on him next time. It's That's true. Right. That's true. I mean, as long as we're doing Keep this, postmates. I mean, Anthony Irwin thinks you look like shit. Me and LeBron. LeBron got gray in our beard. So yeah, me, me as well. Man. Anthony chimes in. Anthony chimes in just to insult you. Uh, it's been a minute, but Darius the Gray is something to behold. It is. <laughs> I think it's glass. Personally, I'm just, I was just going to say, you know, glass houses and stones. That's, <laughs> that's right. all. That's um, right. So, yeah, okay. So, well, this doesn't seem like something that's going to happen anytime soon, um, but it is a fun thing to talk about. And it, it gets to so many of the things that we love about sports and we love about the people that we cover, uh, the people that we cheer for. Um, and, and like Andy said, sort of the romanticism of it. Um, before we get to the Harden stuff, which is fascinating, I, I was asked a question. I did Spectrum uh, earlier this week and was asked a question about other teams in the Pacific other like that might threaten the Lakers. And fundamentally, I have trouble getting past the idea that if everything goes, there's a scenario in which we're arguing at the end of the year if the Lakers have both of the two best players in the NBA. Sure. And that from an analysis standpoint, makes it hard to get past like, who's going to beat them. Like we can't all be Pete and break down film and all these other things. Like we don't need to, they have the two best players in basketball. When you look around the rest of the West, Darius, do you see teams that whether it's just how they might match up with the Lakers or whatever might be that give them a real threat? I mean, is it just the Clippers? Are there others when you start to go down the conference? I mean, the Clippers are obviously a really good mm -hmm. good team. We all love – well, 
I'll speak for myself. I love to get a joke off every now and then at the Clippers' expense. And there are times where they make it easy for us. You should have been here Friday. To get those jokes off. With uh, Domin. Oh. He he went on like a seven-minute soliloquy. Was he roasting? Oh, oh, my God. It was like when you go to like the comedy store and they're like, you got a tight five? And like, yeah, except it was all Clipper slander. Like that, that was his tight five. He picked out Paul George from the crowd, huh? It started. Like <laughs> Pretty much. What, what's your name, buddy? <laughs> Where are you from? Palmdale? <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. I bet you hang out with people from Riverside too. Yeah. The Clippers. So, the, so look, the Clippers are a really good team um i think that i liked the ibaka signing um i think lou is going to be a really good head coach for them and whatever we think about paul george and for all the reporting around the locker room stuff it's still a talent league Kawhi leonard is still an excellent player paul george is much of his as much as shots off the side of the backboard give me a chuckle um, it's still a I very good it's hard, player. It's hard to hit the side of the backboard. It's very, very narrow. It's like throwing darts, right? So, exactly. um, he's really good, though. So, he's still a really good player. So they're a really good team. Outside of them, it's to me a bunch of teams who are a piece or two away. And mm-hmm. you, you know, I was saying this. I said this on on the last LFR pod. And um, I was on the dunked on pod earlier to well today, but the Lakers won the championship last year. They have a head start on the rest of the league in terms of where they're starting. They are now a more talented team than they were last year. And so to me, their head start has only increased. And we will see how this plays out during the course of the season. But they are rightfully looked at as the favorites. Um, we are all right to be optimistic about them and and project them to be the favorites to repeat as well well as champions. And until other teams actually show and prove that they have upped their game a level or two in order to reach that true challenger to contender status, then. Look, like I don't see it now. Maybe a month in, Luka Doncic really does look like the second coming of LeBron James, and Porzingis is healthy and he's shooting forty-five percent from three. And you know, other off-season additions that they've made, they really coalesce, and this is like, oh my goodness, this team is on. That's a good. Yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot going right? on. But but yeah, it, it's going to take a lot for teams to catch up to where the Lakers are right now and that's no knock on where teams are it's the fact that the lakers look really good right now um coming off of a championship season and with the upgrades that they've made to their roster like i know this sounds like me being a homer but i don't know what to say about that thing I, mean, I i don't consider myself a homer and i don't have a different answer either so i mean this they, is why they, you were saying that the drama though is is like this is not your typical Lakers season. You guys have been covering the Lakers for how long now? Uh, 2005, 2006. You were in the mix too, by the way. And, but, and this is what I'm saying is 
drama has been a part of the ethos of the Lakers organization, right? Whether they were at the top of the league or this last stretch before LeBron came and they were a middling to really poor team that you could always count on some drama. Well, it was a Darius. I think it was it was a promoted part of the experience. It yes. was part of the Hollywood thing. It was the 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 flash of it all. Like the Lakers are not supposed to be boring, even when they're good. And it was a feature, not a glitch, yeah, right? Correct. Yeah. I, I mean, and I, I mean, until I, it started I, becoming more glitch. I think it's something that Doctor Boss wanted in 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 the way that this team was was presented. Maybe not. You know, you don't necessarily want your star player threatening to be traded to Pluto and all these other things. And, and, you know, but when Shaq runs down the side of the court and yells, pay me and this, that that's like the extreme version of stuff that I think Dr. Buss liked about, you know, owning the Lakers and having superstars and all that. Like you say, it's a feature, not a bug. They were kind of legitimately boring last year from a team dynamic standpoint. They weren't any that I weren't even just boring. They were like genuinely lovable. Yeah, I was going to say they were actually really enjoyable to be around. They, yeah. they were they were among the more enjoyable teams I've ever covered. Like you know, not just in the NBA, but but period. Like they they were really fun to watch the camaraderie between each other, the way they genuinely played for each other. You know, and really seemed to really enjoy seeing everybody else succeed. And you know, like like people having those type of moments. You know, they they get excited. For you know the third string guys that you know have some good run things like that like and it was all legit it was and it was real like you know I, I all I've ever heard from some of these guys is just this is among if not the most close team I've ever been a part of so I mean that's really enjoyable but it's not drama as traditionally defined no, no. by by the Lakers all of the drama it. was put on them just like you were saying earlier right oh. that it was. It was the the circumstances in China, and then it was the tragedy around Kobe, and then it was um, COVID shutting down the league, and then the restart, and then it was, I think, the most drama that this team faced as a basketball team were sort of the doubts that they... um, You know, probably Avery Bradley not going to the bubble. Yeah. what, What does that mean for the team? And then their bubble performance, which was sort of like not great to begin with. Well, they tanked the bubble, right? They won. They <laughs> I, they won I their first game. They, they got yeah. first. They clinched the number one seed, and then they no longer cared. It was pretty obvious that they basically said our number one goal at this point now is to stay healthy, yeah. is to keep our cardio up, right? Is to like remain in game shape. And then to hit the ground running when when they got to the playoffs. And basically, they did, right? Like, they, they lost game one against Portland. This team lost four games during – or that, And that's why – Whatever. That's, that goes back to what I was saying before, Darius. It's like the, it's, it's the, there was a gap, and you pointed it out. There was a, there's a gap already between the Lakers and the rest of the league. And we saw that based on how they – ran away with the Western, a good Western conference. They won it by a very comfortable margin and they, they lost four games. Like they, they didn't, didn't lose in the, in the playoffs. And maybe they played the wrong teams, but they weren't going they didn't lose a lot of games. So there's a gap there already. And then again, it's a very plausible scenario in which Anthony Davis, even if he doesn't win MVP or whatever is being argued about as the best player in the NBA That's alongside right. LeBron James, who is, 
already argued as the best player in the NBA. If you have two of those guys, it's that's that's sort of the end of the game. Uh, with the Clippers, though, there's there's I don't think there's a team in, in the NBA under more pressure. Um, even with what's you know, Brooklyn's got a lot of it, and you know, there are teams all over that have Milwaukee's it. got a ton. Milwaukee's of got a ton. If some the if if things go wrong with the Clippers this year, <laughs> so Woo. yeah, we we all know what the scenario is. Both guys leave. You know, they have no draft picks and and so on. Does this help them or hurt them? I mean, obviously, it's an unanswerable question, but based on kind of what you know about Ty and how you see what you see about Paul George and Kawhi and the makeup of the guys on that team. Is this something that can help them or is it going to be problematic? Are you talking about the, the pressure the that pressure under? factor that is on the Clippers? Cause it can be something that focuses you and galvanizes yeah. you and pushes you forward, or it can be something that turns you into the Houston Rockets. Pressure can make diamonds, right? That's um, right. The question is, is whether these guys are actually that sort of rock or a different kind, right? <laughs> Zirconium? Um, because when and whether they're built for the moment that this is going to challenge them with. I think Kawhi Leonard is. Um, I think Paul George has had his moments in the playoffs, but they came earlier in his mm -hmm. career. And, you, you know, he went. Like, I don't want to come off as some Paul George defender, um, but he went toe-to-toe -to -toe with LeBron in the Eastern Conference yeah. when Frank Vogel was was his head coach, and, and he looked poised to compete at that level. Now, this last stretch of playoff opportunities that he's had, they have not gone that way, but Paul George has it in him. Whether or not right. he's able to summon that in the big moments now remains to be seen. The thing that I would argue for the Clippers um, that is going to be more pro problematic for the Clippers than the pressure that they're facing is just whether or not their roster at this point is balanced and good enough, right? So they have Kawhi, excellent player. They have Paul George, who is a, a step below Kawhi, but still an excellent player. And then where else is the top-end talent where else is the top end two-way talent? Um, are their role players going to buy in? Um, do they have enough ball handling and shot creation and leadership? Do right. they have enough athleticism in their front court? These are questions that the Lakers specifically are going to test them with and other teams are going to test them with as well. And I think that they're probably still a move or two away from being the best version of the team that they can be around Kawhi and Paul George and whether or not they're able to execute those moves remains to be seen in a league that maybe won't be anxious to help them in the same way that teams aren't anxious to help the Lakers for, for example. Andy, I mean, I would say, you know, kind of chime in on the, on the, the, the pressure question, but the one thing I will say from a personnel standpoint, they are in a better, the two-way player thing is a problem, but I do think with the Baca back there instead of Harold might make it a little easier for them to play Lou late in games. That could help them without getting torched, sort of thing maybe, out. Maybe. maybe, maybe Lou, Lou's going to get picked on, especially. Oh, he'll still get picked on, but then instead of two guys, you have one, and so like you know the, the, the idea that you could play, you know, Harold can't play, 
and you can't play Lou. Like, you can't play either one of them. Maybe you can play one of them. This I, I don't know. The, the combination. Well, I mean, maybe. look, Abaka having at least some ability to score, if nothing else, could make it so you could split the difference and play Beverly with Abaka without losing as much offense. Maybe. I mean, maybe that sort of ends up the way you kind of try to compromise um, what, you know, wanting the scoring from Lou, but just knowing that they're just going to, he, he's just going to get targeted and sometimes eaten alive. So maybe that's the way you try to compromise it. I, it it'll be interesting to see what Ty Lue does. Yeah. What I think is going to be most interesting for the Clippers, because, you know, Brian posed that question of how everything went sideways in the bubble. What does that do for this team? Is it, is it something that galvanizes them? Is it something that just torpedoes them and sinks them even further? I feel like the question is really just all of these guys, how much are they willing to go outside their comfort zone? Be, and, and you know, how much are they willing to accept something that doesn't necessarily make them as comfortable or happy, but they know is best for the greater good? And for guys like Patrick Beverly and Lou Williams, maybe Avica Zubats, just because he had been there for sort of, you know, that little engine that could identity that they built up, like the, accepting the idea that Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, way better than us. And the only way we're ever going to be more than, you know, plucky seven or eight seeds is by having these guys there. And to some degree, you know, stature wise, we are going to be taking a backseat to these guys because they're stars. And we're not. Even Lou Williams is a perennial sixth man of the year. He is not a star the way those guys are. He is not as good as those guys are. And then Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, are you able to go outside of your comfort zone in terms of what's needed from you as leaders? Yeah. Can you do certain things that you're not accustomed to that maybe doesn't come naturally to you? Because obviously there was a leadership vacuum with this team. I mean, it had been reported all year by, you know, Jovan Buha, among other people doing a really good job with it. And, and you could see that absence in the bubble. Things fell apart really dramatically. And, you know, Ty Lue, I think, is good at this sort of stuff, but it can't just be him. And we know this right. because the Clippers tried that with Doc Rivers last year, and it didn't work. Like, all of these guys have to be willing to step outside the things that they enjoy the most or the things that they identify with the most for this to work. If they do that, this team could be really good. Can I ask you guys a question then? Do you think that leadership is one of those things that you can summon out of nowhere or that you can call on as something that's out of your comfort zone, right? It, it's, it's one thing to adjust to a role right? And say, all right, my role is going I, to change. It depends. Can Guys can get better. What you need. It depends on what you need. Just because because leadership comes in different forms. Like, you know, the the leadership of, you know, Lamar Odom was sort of the spiritual leader of, 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 of those teams. Kobe Bryant was the leader leader. You know, it was his team. Yeah. But Lamar, you know, had a role there. You know, Derek Fisher had a, a leadership role there. I mean, go back to last year's team. There, there were people who led in different ways for different things. It's very obviously the tone and all these things were set by LeBron. You know. There's but I, a togetherness. I understand what you're getting at. So, and, so, and I don't know who so, fills that role there. Kobe spoke about this, like, later on in his career about the things that he learned in between winning the first championship or winning with Shaq and the things he needed to learn about yeah. leadership 
when mm -hmm. it came to the 2008, 2009, and 2010 run where they went to three finals and won back-to-back titles. And the thing he talked talk about was, was embracing guys more and that he knew that he wasn't going to change completely from the 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 hard nose get in your face demanding sort of like high standard personality that was basically the crux of who he was as a person right there's no way to change that part but he did need to incorporate a softer side at times and could not leave all of that to the Lamar Odoms and Derek Fishers and everyone else. That if he was going to be the main guy in the middle of it all, that he had to show facets of all of that, right? And the part I wonder about when it comes to a Kawhi and a Paul George, who were great leaders by example, in my opinion, they work hard, they play hard, they're excellent players on the court, they are productive, they do all of the things that you would want them to do from a basketball player standpoint. But one of the things I always talk, talk about is that every business is a people business, right? And that you need to be able to connect with people outside of what your skill sets are and on a personality level in order to bring them in and get everyone going in the same direction. And that's one of the things that LeBron is great at, mm -hmm. right, as, as a leader. And I'm wondering if that part does not come naturally to you, how do you actually summon well, I mean, part? look, we, you know, we covered Kobe in the second half of his career. We were there for all of it. He evolved. I mean, even yeah. just even just in the period, that, you know, because our first season with, with him was the first year that Phil came back. So, you know, there was stuff during the Kobe and Shaq years that Brian and I were occasionally around for just because we did some stringer work for ESPN the magazine, but we weren't there on a regular basis. It's just been well documented enough that you know what a lot of it was. But just in that period, we we saw Kobe become a better leader without completely, I think, ultimately losing, you know, the essence of who he was. And, right. you know, and, and, you know, Kobe was only going to be so much of, you know, a pat you on the ass leader. I mean, that's just yeah. that's just not who he is by nature. He got better at understanding his teammates and, mm -hmm. and what they needed from him. And, you know, I think that required going outside a comfort zone. I think the difference, though, is, is that, you know, Kobe already had so much agency within the organization. Yeah. But also, too, and I think this really helped. Guys like Lamar and, you know, Fish, Bynum, Luke, you know, Sasha, these are guys that have been with Kobe for a while. Yeah. And, you know, after a while, I think they started getting used to a lot of what came with Kobe and, you know, realizing that, you know, when he when he would motherfuck you, you know, the sun was going to come up the next day. Like yeah. it was going to be OK. And, you know, Fisher, yeah. yeah. Like Fisher used to talk about all the time. How when you and you know this was Kobe's closest teammate, like you have to protect your space with Kobe, and there are times when you know he claps for the ball and you just have to say no, like you're not getting the damn ball, and he is going to again mf you up and down, and you just have to be able to deal with it. But at the same time, you learn that Kobe didn't want pushover teammates anyway. You know, That's as right. much as as much as he wanted you to give him the damn ball every single time. He also would respect guys that wouldn't do it. Like, you know, you needed to do something good with it. You weren't going to give it to Kobe. Like, you you needed to make sure that there was a purpose behind 
denying it, but ultimately he'd respect you more. And you know, the the point being, he he learned to go outside his comfort zone on some levels. And I think you know, Kawhi is going to have to on some level. I mean, he's not going to become a rah-rah speech guy. I mean, he yeah. says six words the entire season, but he's going to have to do something. Paul George is going to have to do something. Like they're they gonna, are, they're going to have to create some type of connection with these guys. Yeah, the thing that I'll always point back to Kobe too is he was in his own way naturally charismatic, and that draws people in. Yeah, regardless, right? Yeah. And 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 so he had something that people gravitated to and looked up to in a lot of ways. And that is already a step in the right direction in terms of getting people on your side and sort of building community. Um, I'll be very interested to see how this plays out with the Clippers this year. I think on a lot of levels, a player like Montrez Harrell was scapegoated um, from his performance to the bubble to some of the early articles that came out last season about um, him being maybe more honest than he could, than he should have been potentially <laughs> in well in the locker room about the team dynamics and that rubbing maybe Doc Rivers the wrong way or players behind the scenes the wrong way and, and the locker room is tricky that way and navigating that can be hard right. Um, but again, that's where you need leaders to sort of step in and circle the wagons and and, and close that stuff down to, to make sure that everyone gets back on the same same page. Thankfully, like we've been talking about this this pod, like these are no longer Lakers issues, seemingly, right? Yeah. And they belong to other teams. And that's one of the joys yeah, I, I mean, would the, the, actually the state of the lake, yes, the state that the Lakers are in right now, where both of those guys are locked up. Yeah, or happily, happily locked up, you know, by their own choice. Like there was no, you know, back against the wall, you know, some sort of weird leverage play. Like LeBron was like, "Hey, let's tack on another year. Why not?" They knew what they were signing. Yes, and you know, wanted to, and you know, you you, you can break down the reasons as to why and all that, but it just shows the 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 place that the organization is in right now, relative to where it was. Uh, two years ago is, is pretty stunning, and it also speaks to the the challenge I think that faces the rest of the league because there's always that hope when you talk about great Lakers teams that something will combust from the inside and help us catch up if there's a gap, and that doesn't seem uh, to be something that's going to happen. I I, I want to make sure we have enough time to talk about the hard stuff. Um, speaking of combustion, yes. Um, that situation is fascinating in part because of what it does to the Rockets in part of because of the ideas of the mechanics of trading James Harden um, in the, the the conversation that it's raised about player empowerment. And I know, Andy, that was something that you wanted to get into, just the, this idea of, of empowerment and responsibility and, and some stuff that you guys were actually, Darius, talking about on the pod the other day. Yeah, you guys had a really good uh, conversation about this, uh, you and Pete and the, I guess, not very hazed Mike Trudell. Um, and, and just what was a lot going. of time talking about James Harden, which is a form of hazing to Mike Trudell. <laughs> <laughs> that is true, actually. In, in some ways, just making Mike be a part of the conversation, that that is the hazing. But like, 
James Harden has been, I mean, there's no way around it, holding his organization hostage. Yeah. And he is doing this in the most, you know, like not just middle finger way, but like on a lot of levels, irresponsible. Like it's irresponsible to his teammates. It's irresponsible. Like globally speaking, we're in the middle of a damn pandemic and he is going out of his way to party indoors without masks. A lot of people like he's got to pass six, I guess, consecutive days of COVID testing in order to start practicing, like I'm fully expecting him more just for the strip club factor. I'm expecting on day five for him to go to a club, like after he gets five straight uh, negatives, just to make sure he has to start this whole thing over again. And like he, this is like, you know, the, the player empowerment movement, you know, on steroids, on steroids, on steroids, what we're seeing right now. And I, I'm a big believer in, you know, the player empowerment movement and that these guys have earned the right to have this sort of leverage and that for a while that balance of power was really out of whack. And I have no issue with these guys trying to wrestle it back towards something a little more equitable. I have no issue with guys moving around. I have no issue with guys demanding trades, that sort of thing. But I do wonder though, if we're reaching this place now, we've seen elements of this over the last couple of years that have kind of manifested itself with James Harden if we're reaching this place now where the player empowerment movement includes no accountability for the players and no responsibility for the players in terms of the power that they actually have, where it's like power that feels essentially unchecked. And that's a dangerous thing, like in any scenario, not just the league. I mean, we've lived through four years of what it looks like when someone in great power doesn't seem that interested in the accountability part of it. Like it's bad. And like, you know, you look at Kyrie Irving, you know, with this, I don't know, whatever the hell it is, media thing in Brooklyn. But like, that's actually part of his responsibilities as a franchise face. And like, I don't give a shit if he's shining the media because I'm in me. I like, I don't care. Like most scrum stuff is kind of stupid, but like you're leaving your teammates out there to deal with your bullshit. Like that's ultimately what you're doing. Or like the reports that have come out with, you know, Kawhi and Paul George, like seeming really disconnected to the teammates in a franchise that not only they forced their way to, but like that franchise moved heaven and earth to get them in there. And I just, it, there's a difference between having power that you've accumulated around the league. And in the case of all the guys that I mentioned, they've earned it versus having agency within your own franchise. And I and I just wonder if that part of it is starting to get lost, especially in an age where guys may move around a lot and, and may not even feel the need to do that because they're almost like renting themselves out to these franchises. I think these are all great points. Um, and it's, it's tricky for, so I'm with you, A, you heard me talk about this on the pod yeah. the other day. Um, I think there's a right and a wrong. W- so I think there's a right and a wrong way to sort of flex your muscles in order to get to the end game that you seek. And there is a tried and true path yeah. in order to get the thing that you want accomplished. And um, there's a phrase I like to use about um, players who sort of um, 
don't quite understand what their role is on on a team like you are you're not a scorer you're a screener and a rebounder but there you are jacking up 20 footers and i i like to say that players like that like to color outside the lines um <laughs> and harden expanding is, my game as the, the poet andrew bynum once said yeah yes and Harden is definitely coloring outside the lines at this point when it comes to the approach that he's taking in order to get himself out of a situation that he no longer desires. I heard Ramona Shelburne say this on, I think it was the jump and, but she basically, and, but this was a thought I was thinking as well that you, you know, just a phrase of help me help you. And um, yeah. So report to camp on time, right? Do all the things that you're supposed to do responsibly, <clears throat> excuse me, not just because of the pandemic and all of that stuff, which is like yeah, your health and league safety and team safety. All all of that stuff is a given. It's, it's a bigger middle finger to like the people who have been following and all these other things that you're going to be out for six more days. And yeah. it, but it, it is somewhat separate. Yeah. But come to camp on time, take care of your obligations and and show up and continue to make your point in the exact ways that are available to you every single day as a professional basketball player. I remember well, seeing foot, footage of this. I was not old enough, and I've read accounts of this. I remember when Magic Johnson came right out of a basketball game and was in the locker room and was basically just like, you know, yeah, I think I want to be traded. Like, I really can't do this anymore. The style of play, yada, yada, yada. And it's either me or something else has has to change. And then guess what? Shortly after that, the head coach got fired and Pat Riley was inserted as Lakers head coach. And there is, historically, there is a power that superstar franchise players can wield. And there is a way in order to get your goal accomplished. And Harden, I feel like, is just not doing it in a way that is helping anyone, especially well, himself. I was going to say, too, and with Harden, what because I've been thinking about this issue with accountability for probably like a week or so ago, like I, Jovan uh, Buha's piece about you know all the discord in the Clippers really yeah. got me thinking about that difference between having power as a superstar around the league versus having earned agency and currency within your own organization, because it's really, it's not the same thing. But when you look at James Harden in particular, it's like, again, I cannot stress this enough. I have no problem with him wanting a trade out of Houston. I have yeah. no problem with him, in theory, exercising the leverage that he's accumulated through his talent, you know, through that power, because he is one of the most talented players in the league. He's a top eight player in the league, top seven, worse. Right. At the same time, though, and again, this is what I talk about, at least in part with accountability, you're talking about a guy whose franchise has redone its roster two or three yeah. times like in the last six years, bringing in new A-lister after new A-lister, all at James Harden's request. By all accounts, this is stuff James Harden was you know, not just signing off on, saying, go do this. Go get Dwight Howard. Go get Chris Paul. Go get Russell Westbrook. And it never works out. And you have to at least, 
you know, as a, I think as a responsible superstar, be aware of that. Like, okay, this isn't working. I want out, you know, my owner seems like he's, you know, at best, you know, kind of an ass at worst, he might be kind of broke. I mean, whatever. Like, I mean, there's a lot of reasons he could want out and that's fine. But like, he seems completely oblivious to the idea of, you know what, this mess is in part because of them catering to me. Like they really have been catering to me on all these accounts, which doesn't mean I owe them a damn thing because he doesn't, but like at least have some sort of accountability for how you go about doing this because you're not a blameless party here. That's exactly right. So by no means, so even when you account for the ownership change that's happened and the owner not clearly not being up to the same level that the previous owner was. And you look at now the general manager has left the team and the head coach that he won an MVP under has left, left the team. If, if there was that much instability in any organization, it would not be out of hand. No one would blink twice at any star player who was on a team where those specific things happened that that guy wanted to leave. Yeah. Right. And, but this is how bad hard Harden is handling the situation is that even with all of those things working in his favor, he's still not a sympathetic figure (laughs) in, in this situation because he's handling this so poorly. And, And that speaks volumes for just the unprofessionalism and the lack of accountability that you're talk, talking about in terms of his role in getting the team to where it is right now. I think, though, there's there's so much of this that it's specific to him, too, because he is a, ask Mike, you know, he's a really polarizing player. I mean, he is yeah. somebody who's put in that category of, you know, one of the five, you know, six best, but I think he is, you know, in the NBA. He's just a, a transcendent scorer but plays in a style that really pisses people off. It just drives people insane. I, I, I like it. I think, I think James Harden's ability to draw fouls is like an artistic skill that I appreciate as part of the game. I also get why it drives people insane. I, I feel like this situation, it, to some degree, even with the strip clubs and the COVID irresponsibility would be different with a player that people thought of differently you know, that didn't have the playoff flame outs, whatever it might be, and just played in a way that people didn't get so angry about. Some of this just feels James Harden specific to me in ways that I think add yeah, ex- interesting layers to the story. No, yeah. the perception of him definitely, sh- the perception of him as a player seeps into all of this, right? Oh, and, yeah. and, and just how much he's he's like, but, you, you know, welcome to the world that we live in, <laughs> right? <laughs> like anyone with... If you're beloved, then your transgressions are often overlooked or minimized. And if you're polarizing or disliked, then your transgressions are amplified. And that's how this goes, especially in 2020. I I don't necessarily think that's fair, but that's what it is, right? The part that I also, and I'm curious what you guys think, like the, the, the weather, basketball Twitter, generally speaking, is very supportive of players uh, and player empowerment and and the balance of power and all these things, you know, basketball media, basketball, Twitter. 
our normal non, you know, us people who watch the game, follow it, whatever, are they as sympathetic? Because I don't get the impression that they are. I think they're more sympathetic than they used to be. It, it seems like, I mean, I don't know. That's an interesting question because the fans that I know we interact with through Twitter or, you know, sometimes, you know, taking calls on air, stuff like that. It doesn't seem as resentful towards it as say it was like maybe, you know, when, when the big three formed in Miami with the Heatles and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, just because I think it was so shocking. I think I actually think though, what if it puts off at least some fans now, it's not even so much the idea of them having this type of power, or maybe even like having you know the type of player movement. Although I think I think the the amount of player movement sometimes just you lose certain aesthetics. You know, like the the idea of a guy if not playing his entire career with one franchise, you know, spending a good seven, 10 years there. Like you, you, you lure, you lose certain attachment points, mm -hmm. but it just, I think, I think when guys come in and they look sort of like mercenaries, I, and especially like really, really well compensated mercenaries and don't seem to, to give back that way. And I mean, I don't know if they are obligated to or not, like in terms of, I guess, really being connected to your team, I guess, if you win a championship, in the end, it doesn't really matter. You know, Kawhi Leonard was the well, ultimate mercenary with Toronto. It's a, it's a bit. I think everybody understands it's a business, but everybody's goals in the business are different. You're, I, I treat you as you know, as a fan. I treat you, player, as the part of the business to me, Darius, which is go win me a championship and entertain me and make me happy and sure. you know, give me distraction in my life or whatever. That's the part of it's it's it's. It's that's the business part that I'm concerned about as a fan, and I want people to provide me that. And why I feel betrayed when they don't. Um, so I mean, I mean, everybody sort of treats it as a business, but everybody looks at the business differently. I mean, were, were I to guess, based again, this is largely just anecdotal in terms of just the interaction I've had with fans. I I get a sense that the average fan has been less put off by the amount of power these guys have had than say some of them offering political opinions or, or you know, getting yeah. involved in social issues and stuff like that, which, I mean, I, I don't think that fans should get upset about that either, but be that as it may, I just think it, I think in a lot of ways, it just comes down to what are you doing? What are you doing with that power? And do you seem invested in your team? Like, do you actually just seem invested in, in ways that is about more than just playing hard? You know what I mean? Like, like LeBron, his first season with the Lakers was openly disconnected to the Lakers. And I know we heard from a lot of fans who didn't like it. And it didn't matter that LeBron played really well. Like, you know, on balance, LeBron played extremely well, no matter how invested he was emotionally with that team or not. You could feel it. I mean, like, it's part of the reason why his leadership this season has was so incredible is because it was a night and day contrast to what you saw in the first year. Andy, this season is over. We have to start referring to it as last season. But, but you know what I'm saying, though. <laughs> I know. Well, it's the passage of time. Is I know. So I, was, I was listening. To be fair, I was listening to the J.J. Reddick podcast today, and he had on Chris Paul, which was a great episode. So if you get a chance. I've heard it's great. That. Um, and J.J. Reddick himself said that 
this season just feels like a continuation from last season. It yeah. feels like just one long season. He's like, well, I came here a year ago. They had more time in between the end of you know the suspension of play and the end of the bubble than they did between the end of the bubble and the beginning of the season. So I mean, yeah. By the way, JJ Redick, man, knock it off with the podcast and like being really good at this shit. Like, like enough. say some for us. I, exactly. Say it's like, for us. It's like every time Kareem writes an article, <laughs> I'm like, God yes. damn it, man. Yes. Like, it's embarrassing that I've ever gotten paid to write anything. Like, just stop. Like, you, have, you have six MVP awards yeah, and six championships. Right. You don't need. You're a documentarian. Like, you're all, you're a historian. Like, you, you want to pick your own. Is that like, what this is? He was on the Veronica Mars staff. Like, I'm not even kidding. He was on the writing staff for Veronica Mars. Yes. The specificity of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is, is like, stunning. Like, like, scientists should be drawing his DNA to preserve it and, like, inject it in other things. Because think of all the stuff. It's not that he's just a really – there are a lot of people who are really good athletes who are really smart. None of not all of them are seven feet tall with that kind of grace and uh, and like and to have the intellect and then the 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 variety of it's like why why like that that shouldn't be able to happen was also great in the airplane yes yes fought, excellent comedic timing fought Bruce Lee come on man seriously enough it's gauche at this it really point is. like like it's not fair to the rest of us. It's not like, like seriously, like every time he because he writes on like such a wide scope of issues and it's yes. always incredible. And I'm like, dude, just stop. Like, like here's a movie review. Yes. <laughs> like he's better. He's like as good as Kenneth Turan or something. I'm like, stop it, man. Like I should say too, it was actually Kareem who made that ramen. <laughs> I, yeah, as Sean Hyken puts out, Kareem was on uh, with Mark Marin a few years ago. They talked only about jazz. I think Andy would, that would have been when he was promoting his jazz book. Yes. Again, okay. go after yourself. I interviewed. <laughs> what, are what are you doing with your jazz book? Six time MVP Kareem. I interviewed Kareem. Uh, God, I can't remember if it was the beginning of 2020 or part of 2019 because we talked about time is just a blur, but it was about. Um, a documentary that he made about black soldiers in the Revolutionary War for history, the, the channel. And it's great. Like, it's an incredible documentary. I'm just like, okay, kudos. Stop. Just, just like, stop so it. Where, where does he focus? Like, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, Kareem does get bypassed too often and too easily in the GOAT conversation for the NBA. Um, I think if you expand it out to just greatest basketball career of all time, then Kareem, I think, starts to to get there. However, uh, like we gloss over Kareem in the NBA conversation too much. But this is a good question from A1BY. Where does Kareem fall in just like the GOAT ranking for all-time impressive human beings? Because like wh- who competes with that package? Jazz documentaries, jazz books. Um, you know, revolutionary war projects <laughs> sounds ridiculous. No, it does. It's not, and you know what? Not even a six time MVP, he invented the sky hook. He was a civil rights activist, yes. 
<laughs> I mean, like, this is, oh, like, this is, like when you think about that movie, but might be on the Mount Rushmore to use the stupid sports cliche of just humans that have ever walked the earth. Like, honestly, like just going through all this, and I, I mean, I knew it a little bit anyway, but my God, I just wasted my life. I never thought about it. <laughs> like, I really just wasted my entire existence. Like, Kareem accomplished more, like, in the year, I don't know, like, 1974 <laughs> than I'll ever do over, like, three like, like a random year. Yeah, I don't even know what he did in 74. I'm just assuming it. Like, it's a, it's a fair guess. It is true, though. I mean, if you'd asked me, I could tell you were wasting your life. That that part. <laughs> I'm just yeah. saying. Except yeah. for 10 to 11 on, True. on weeknights. Yeah. Well, until Kareem has his own live stream show and blows <laughs> this one out of the water. <laughs> like he's just scrolling across Twitter right now and saying, oh, that's a good idea. And tomorrow we're out of business. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Hopefully he'll at least just have us on like as a way of saying goodbye. Like, it's just, it's amazing. And he's a great, like, you know, for somebody that used to hate doing media, and like you know, didn't really enjoy interacting with the reporters. Oh my God, he's an incredible interview. <laughs> Kareem's Twitch channel, <laughs> Kareem's TikTok. <laughs> he'd probably be you know, and he could probably pick up Call of Duty or something if he wanted to combine like the normal video game Twitch stuff. Oh, I know it's just. It's I just never, I've never thought of it in that context of it's he, like the the package that he's bringing to that debate. Um. It's, it's going to compete with anybody. Yeah. It's pretty unbelievable. You better not show up with a knife to that gunfight. No. Um, no. All right. Darius, is there anything else you want to cover? <laughs> no. I, I mean, <clears throat> I love talking with you guys. I love talking about the NBA and the Lakers. Um, you had asked me earlier about teams from the West. <laughs> we did this last time, too. Did you... What are your thoughts on any of the teams from the East? Like, mm. okay, which teams I, intrigue you the most? Brooklyn. I, I, I want. I'm glad you mentioned because I skipped the part. And as long as you're willing to stay, I'm. I'm no, let's do it. Um, you, we skipped the part about Western Conference teams, and we'll talk about like because I, I, I love. I, there is not a team from. I actually don't love the Clippers. I'm fascinated by the Clippers, but in terms of like pure basketball enjoyment, it's really every team behind them that I'm really interested in. Yeah, you know, I want to watch Denver. I want to watch uh, Portland. You know, Portland. Phoenix. I wanna, yeah, Phoenix. I'm whoa. That's gonna be fun. Um, I, I think Utah is gonna be a lot of fun this year. I, I like nobody talks about them. Dallas is gonna be tremendous fun if uh, Porzingis is healthy. New Orleans. The East, New Orleans, New Orleans yeah. for sure. Um, very interesting. So it's gonna be none of them are as good as the Lakers, but it's super fun in the East. There are a lot of good teams, you know. I'm I'm, I'm intrigued by you know how Milwaukee has to to respond to this stuff and like are they better off with not being able to finish what they did uh, with the Bogdanovich thing and screwing that thing up in ways that just still seem very odd and somebody's gonna write a movie about. Maybe not a movie. That's probably too much. Um, We'll give them yeah. a <laughs> write a story, a really, really <laughs> good article. Yeah, maybe a 15 for 15. I don't even right. know. 30 <laughs> for 30. This documentary is short. I'll tell you Brooklyn what I want feels, to say. Brooklyn should, feels like they should be more interesting to me than I think they are. Hmm. You know, like I feel like I'm supposed to believe that this team is going to um, 
you know, dominate in the East and like rise up the top and they've got these stars. Uh, but we had, uh, you know, uh, Nick, Duncan on, uh, from, uh, basketball news. And he broke it down on our podcast and he broke it down a very, made a very convincing argument why that team may not work. Hmm. And I, I think that the, the possibility for drama there is, is cool, but from a basketball standpoint, I find them less interesting than, you know, Miami. Yeah, the the team that I'm actually really interested in is Philly. Philly. Because, oh, thank you. I forgot yeah. about them because they have the shooting now. You know, bring in Seth Curry, bring in Danny Green. You've got somebody in Dwight that it, you know, obviously isn't the shooting, but he's somebody that can you know help ease that load off jo- Joel Embiid and hopefully bring the freshest version of him throughout an entire season. If it doesn't work this year in Philly, then you really start wondering, okay, what what's going on with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons that yeah. they've seemingly regressed as a duo? Because like they, they were better three years ago than they were now. And a lot of that seemed like on the surface, they, you know, the, there was so much roster imbalance and so little shooting. But now that you've got, you know, Seth, you know, Seth Curry, Danny Green, Tobias Harris, I think in a, in a better role yeah. this year than, than what was yep. there last year. If it's not working, what do you do then? Because at that point, I think it just it, it, with a new coach and Doc Rivers, like it, it clearly just isn't working. Well, I think they trade for James Harden, but that's that takes a different discussion right the philly intrigues me because they make sense now they make much more sense than last year's team and they're much closer to the version of the team that they were right before the jimmy butler trade yeah which was a really good team jimmy got them a lot closer to being a great team and if he would have stayed then maybe they would have been a team last year who was where miami was instead jimmy was in miami and that team made real noise. I'm a big Ben Simmons fan, and um, yep. I I just think that he's a wonderful talent, a two way player, and um, and Embiid is in a league that is going away from players like him. He is still the one guy who reminds you of why players like him were in vogue in the first place. And, and that just, those two guys alone intrigue me. But when you surround them with, with better shooting, it it starts to make a lot more sense. One of the things, again, that was just an extraordinary long answer I gave before for to forget ultimately the team that I was thinking about. Um, It Philly's really the only team in the East, maybe the only team in basketball where, the the gap between what they sort of are based on where they finished last year and what they could be if things line up with this sort of revamp lineup and all these other is massive. Where they go from kind of middle of the pack Eastern Conference team that maybe can, you know, maybe make a finals if everything goes to like, holy shit, like that that's enough talent to win, like win things. That's what makes and then you add to that one of those guys is Joel Embiid. Who is, you know, yeah. from a personality standpoint, from a style standpoint, from a like, do you need to be getting in better shape kind of standpoint? Like, there's all these little things with him, but the talent is incredible. And then Ben Simmons, which is like another one of these guys where you're almost trying to rewrite what you have to be 
to be a dominant championship caliber NBA player. He can't she doesn't shoot jump shots. Like, can you have your second best player, uh, your one A, whatever it is, because he's so good defensively? Can you have a guy? Who I mean, look, you, that's the big shot. question with Milwaukee, and you know, Ben Simmons isn't as good as Giannis. And that's the question that you know plagues Milwaukee right now in terms of their well, best that, player. whether Giannis can make a jumper. No, he not Giannis, Giannis, not Larry, Giannis takes jumpers like Larry Bird. But that's my point, though. Is that right? But that's my point. Is that if it can't work with Giannis, well, okay, the type of jumper that he has, then you decide that it ultimately can't work with yeah. Ben Simmons at all. If you put the right personnel sure. around it, because like Darius, we like. The question of, you know, can you win with this player as your best player? Can you win with this player as your second best player? Is, you know, can you win with this guy as your quarterback? You know, whatever it might be is, you know, yes is always the answer if. Yeah. Yeah. Or Darius Soriano might say yes and no. Sure. Um, if you, you know, if your quarterback isn't as good, well, maybe you need a better offensive line. Maybe you need a little more better wide receivers, whatever it is. Ben Simmons is incredibly good at certain things but you do have to kind of build the rest of the roster a little bit to compensate and that makes them interesting they took steps in that direction this offseason which is why they intrigue me um i i'm not going to so i didn't hear what nikaias said about the nets um basically he doesn't buy the the defense There's, yeah i don't position, I was, positional roster holes like they're they're very heavy in certain places and very light in others. Yeah, we talked about that on the LFR pod, and that was the point that Pete made about the overlap in skills and, and basically the ro- the general roster imbalance that mm-hmm. that they have. And and I was talking about their lack of defense and whether or not they're going to be able to get the stops that that they need. Um, there's also a weird hierarchy there with DeAndre Jordan and. Um, whether or not that carries over to this season and Steve Nash's first year, I'm a big Steve Nash fan, and I think that he was fantastic, that he was a fantastic player and a great communicator. And he's you can tell when you listen to him talk that he's just super thoughtful. And I think those are traits that you really need as a head coach, like a good communicator. Those were things that. I did not know Frank Vogel possessed in the way that he proved he did last season. That I didn't were, know either. That were very beneficial to the Lakers' success. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and so I have high hopes for Nash, but it, it's a tricky sit, situation up there. The only other thing I wanted to ask you about the East was how big of a deal will it be this season if Giannis actually does not sign this extension? Oh God! It's just going to be hanging over everything. I mean, yeah. it's, it, it 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 will be talked about nonstop. I mean, it will just it will never. We we saw what happened with Anthony Davis. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a little bit different because after a while, You're very clear we knew, he wanted to leave. Right, we knew that he wanted to leave, and it and although I will say this. A lot of people have said that all things being equal in a perfect world, AD would have liked to stay in New Orleans. If there was a way to actually win there, he wasn't opposed to it on just the the issue of market size, like something like that. Like if New Orleans could have put a winner around him, he was at least open sure. towards staying. And I, think, yeah, I think that's that's the Giannis feel. Right. I mean, by everything I have ever heard, 
Giannis would like to be convinced to stay in Milwaukee. Like he doesn't have a burning desire to leave because he wants to be in New York or LA or Chicago or somewhere like that. Like he's yeah. more than happy being in, in the market that is Milwaukee. He just wants to be convinced that he can actually win. Um, and this will be hanging over everything. So let me ask both, both of you. Sure. If you were in his shoes, knowing that this same contract is available next season, what, and, and considering the distraction that is already clear this is going to be. His teammates are getting asked about this every day of training camp. He got asked about it today. Um, I mean, dude, we, so it's not gonna, why doesn't Brooklyn get asked about uh, Harden? Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, he's going to be asked about this. Are you asking me, were I Giannis, or me, yes. were I me pretending to be honest? Because this, to me, is one of the great things that, that really does separate who these guys are versus who we are. Because how much are we talking here? It's like 200 and... It's like two hundred and fifty million, or it's some crazy. Like if I was, if somebody had a piece of paper that I could sign, and I would get two hundred and fifty million, I would, I would literally stop moving. Like if I'm walking down the street, I, I move away from the street, and I like lean up against the bill, and I don't move until somebody delivers me a copy of that paper so I can sign it because I could get hit by a bus. I mean, anything could happen. Yeah, these guys can like Giannis can legitimately be like, hmm, maybe. Maybe not, because if he tears an ACL this year, he's still going to get the he's, same contract he, next year. He's getting that same money yeah. next year, which is and, why it's it's an interesting dilemma, though, right? Because as a guy who is obviously team first, and I think everything that yes. you that that you guys were saying about um, him being comfortable in Milwaukee and perfectly happy to stay, and, and I think preferably from his perspective would stay, right? Mm -hmm. Um, the downside is more the uncomfortableness of what this hanging over everything is. A and so it's, it's interesting to me about whether or not he actually signs it. It's sort of a twist on the same, you know, this is player empowerment. This yeah. is a guy who can say, you know, this is, it's my career. Yeah. What's best for the team? Sign the extension now, or, you know, sign, sign the, uh, the, 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 the Supermax now. What's best for me? Might not be that. So if you choose to do what's best for you, which they all should, yes. Do you, you know you do it in a way that you say, "Look, guys, I, I'm not going to say, but I'm not going to talk about it." Like, or you know, you you hold the press conference or you answer the question. Like that's where the part of I'm going to be as forthright as I can, or you know, don't ask my you know my teammates about it because they don't know whatever it is. Where you do then sort of I think for the benefit of the team to be able to win this year, which probably has something to do with your decision about whether or not you want to stay. If you want to maximize that opportunity, then like Andy was saying, there is that sort of the how matters. Um, but he is under zero obligation. He doesn't owe anybody a signature on that paper. Crazy I mean, as it sounds. I to, think, I mean, I, in some ways I'm projecting my own, you know, worldview onto this, but I feel like if I were Giannis, unless I really Unless I really doubted the front office's ability to build a legitimate contender around me, and I, you know, I'd be a little bit nervous at the fact that clearly they can't tamper well, if nothing else, and that that would, I mean, that would make me nervous. You're supposed to be good at tampering if you do this stuff. You're supposed to be able to, 
figure out the parameters of a sign and trade without it getting leaked out. You know, one really way or the other. I'd like to come to your team. Right. Well, you may need to, especially, I would argue too that maybe you need to be really good at tampering if you're in a small market, right? Like, oh, you need to be really good. You need to be really, really good. And somewhere along the line, that thing got botched, and that would make me nervous. But, you know, he also knows this front office very well, and he knows what they're capable of. If I were happy with the situation and I were confident, I think I would sign it just because I know ultimately I'd be able to find my way to another team. And I just, I, I don't like, I, I think, I mean, I like closure. I like more closure. we talk about it, Darius, just to definitively answer your question, I don't think I would. I don't need to sign it. It's not, See, that, I don't, it's not that I don't need to, I would want to. And I would want to sign it and just have this thing done and not have to worry about it, knowing I'm in good shape either way. And if I don't like it here, I'll be able to get moved. But your your best opportunity to move Darius is the one that you have in front of you. And as much as you you know you sign the max and get traded, it is it is not easy to trade to land in your destination that you want to land to when you decide that you want to be traded. It is not easy necessarily to do that, no matter who you are. Like it can be difficult. It can be hard to get the return that you want. It can be hard to get to the city that you want to go to. This I'm is not why to you don't need to. This is why this discussion is fascinating to me because you guys are both taking totally reasonable positions in what this. Would you do? And personally, I would wait, I think. Okay. And I would probably have all of the needed conversations I That's needed to right. have in, in order to try to grease the wheels and do the stand up thing for everyone involved. Right, which is looking out for my own best interests sure. while having open dialogue with the front office, while having open dialogue with my teammates, and then being as forthright and as firm as I could be with the media to try to alleviate any of the stuff that is going to be noise. That's not going to stop the noise. And, not even and, and if that's the decision that I make, I have to be willing to continue to face those 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 yes. questions and those doubts and those issues that are going to come at you and you have to be prepared for yeah. that you and me we're stand-up guys we can handle that kind of heat andy can't that's just i think the difference yeah. here is i just don't want to that's the andy difference it's too well, much heat the thing is too is from a functional standpoint though what what i will say as well i'm not a that, drama you know i'm just not like a drama you know lady of the night <laughs> like you are brian i mean that's a difference you know i'm not i'm not you can say the word no i, I find it demeaning <laughs> um, i i just you know i'm not i'm not that person brian i don't i don't need to have everything centering around me for a year which is ultimately the reason why i know you're doing this anyway you love the attention like that's actually why you're doing this yeah. darius is darius is doing it for some you know what i would have been one you're of those people doing this because you just want to be the bell of the ball for a year yeah, I, I, would, I would have been one of those people back in the middle ages who would have put you to death for not thinking that the these the exactly located around me exactly that's why you would sign month to month contracts your entire career <laughs> just to make sure that this never ended. I would I would like to think that at the beginning of this argument that Darius was on team sign and then he listened to both of our um, both of our, uh, our our laying it out and he agreed that mine was more convincing. <laughs> well. That is how it's playing out in my head. It's not a big deal. Just 
coincidence that Darius will never be back again. <laughs> but, it's, but it's one has nothing to Starting do. Next week, they're not related. No, they're not related. It's your coincidence. And Darius Soriano, they have you. That's all right. I, I love working with Pete and Mike anyway. No, my next partner is going to be Kareem. So, um, you know, sorry, guys. I, my show is actually going going to run from um, from nine fifty five to eleven oh five. And your so, role will be no. whatever Kareem asks, <laughs> whatever Kareem says it is. God, that man, will that be your role. You, we try to have a variety of people on this show. The, the, the amount of prep that you'd have to be able to do to be able to just keep up with the people Kareem would be able to get. Oh, I'm not going to lie. The interview I did with him about that documentary, I was intimidating. It was very intimidating in part because I was like, oh my God, there's so little about the subject I actually knew. <laughs> like, it really was. Whoa, 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 whoa. There's a, there was a revolutionary war? <laughs> I was, I'm not going to lie. I'm good, man. The Let me take some notes. For, Let me take some for who? The, the fear of asking Kareem a really stupid question oh, man. lingers over you a lot in a long form interview with Kareem Abdul Jabbar that hangs so, over you quite a bit. Basketball, eh? <laughs> yeah, it's How'd that go for you. Yeah, goat. That is, I, this is something we need to explore the all time goat human being, impre impressive human being list. Um, that is something maybe we don't get into it uh, with Bernardo Ruiz only because <laughs> we hadn't thought about it. Uh, we had a conversation with Bernardo Ruiz, the uh, documentarian. Uh, the new 30 for 30 uh, is coming out next week. He directed it, it's called The Infinite Race. Uh, we're going to play our interview that we uh, did with him tomorrow night. We'll also talk a little football. Um, this is me rapping, by the way. I'm, I, I'll be honest with you. I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> Just taking control of this thing. Um, but so we'll, we'll, we'll have our interview with Bernardo Ruiz. It is a fascinating 30 for 30. Check it out. Uh, uh, you know, the trailers and stuff. It's really good. It's really, really good. Um, and uh, we'll talk Rams, Patriots, Thursday night football. Andy and I are playing each other this weekend in the fantasy playoffs. That will probably come up. Yes, it's been lurking in the in the uh, in on the chat. Probably wondering what he's getting into. Yeah, Sean Hyken's gonna be with us Friday. We're very excited. Um, and Darius Soriano, thank you so much. Forum Blue and Gold is where you read his stuff, and uh, the Laker Film Room podcast is where you listen to him talk. Um, and we always appreciate the time. appreciate the time, man. Especially uh, you sticking around for a while, man. Thank no, you. Thanks for have have having me. And I don't think it would be any other way that we go long on a day <laughs> where I am here. So it's, no, uh, that's true. You know what, Harrison, Harrison? Harrison Fagan predicted it. So yeah, there you go. Harrison, we did get to talk, which was not what he predicted. <laughs> no, sure. We will see everyone tomorrow. Don't you need a lot. <laughs>